Welcome to another episode of Dating Intentionally. I'm Talia, your host, and if you're new to the show, this podcast is all about creating meaningful connections in a way that aligns with your goals and values while having a great time. I believe dating can be fun, and that's why I started Dating Intentionally. And I think it gets more fun when you understand why you and the people you date behave in certain ways when facing different dating situations. Today, we are talking about adult attachment theory, which completely changed the game for me in dating and relationships when I first learned about it. It's one of my favorite topics to get into. Whether you're new to attachment theory or you've heard it before, I hope you come away from this episode with something you can apply to your relationships today. So first, I'm going to get into where attachment theory comes from, and then we'll go over the four types of attachment and how these manifest in your dating journey and relationships. We'll also talk about how to spot different attachment styles in dating, and I'm going to answer a few listener questions about attachment at the end. Real quick, before we jump in, I want to ask you something. If you had a choice to meet your long-term partner in person or online, which one would you choose? When I asked Instagram, over 60% of people who responded said they'd prefer to meet their partner in person. Does that surprise you? Of course, most of us just want to find someone to we connect with no matter how it happens. But if you want to get better at offline dating and meet your next match in person, I'm hosting a workshop called How to Meet Someone in Real Life on Monday, November 6th at 8 p.m. Eastern. We're going to talk about strategies for introverts and extroverts on making connections in the wild, tips on how to be more approachable and get asked out in real life. I'm going to share actionable steps to build more confidence and put yourself out there. And if you sign up, you'll also get scripts for approaching people without the awkwardness before the workshop. If you want to sign up, head over to my Instagram profile at dating.intentionally and click the link in my bio. You'll see a sign up link there. It's under date IRL workshop. I can't wait to see you there. Okay, so let's get into it. The first thing I have to mention up front is that I'm not a therapist and I don't have any formal education in behavioral science or psychology. My knowledge on this topic of attachment theory comes from reading many books written by researchers and experts on this topic and five years of working with my therapist specifically on attachment. This episode is meant to cover the basics. The second thing I have to mention up front is that attachment theory is one of many frameworks for relationships. It's not the only tool or framework you know, to use when trying to explain or justify or figure out your behavior and someone else's in a relationship. It's not the only thing at play here. Attachment theory is talked about on social media a ton, and sometimes it seems like it's the only way to look at and examine relationships. I just want to remind you it's not. And most importantly, you are not defined by your attachment style. For example, I really dislike when I hear other creators or people just say avoidance when talking about avoidantly attached people because it's like they're being defined by their attachment style. So just keep these things in mind as you listen. I first learned about attachment theory and therapy a few years ago when I started living with my ex. And it wasn't a few years later that I actually read the book Attached by Amir Levine. That's when it really clicked for me. Let's start where attachment theory came from. So attachment theory comes from an experiment called The Strange Situation, led by psychologist Mary Ainsworth in the late 70s. It focused on how children reacted to different scenarios with their mother and a stranger, like leaving and being in a room. In this experiment, they played out a few different scenarios. First, a mother and child would be in the room playing with toys. The child would be exploring the room with the mother there. Then a stranger would enter, talk to the mother, and then engage with the child. The mother would leave the room, but the stranger would stay. Then the mother came back and tried to like comfort the child and continue to play. Then both adults would leave the room 
And then the stranger would come back. And then after some time, the mother would come back and play and comfort their child. So how the child reacted to all of this was meant to indicate their attachment style. How did the kid react to the mom leaving or returning? How did the kid react to the stranger? You know, what happened before and after? What they found is that the children mainly had the following reactions. Some had signs of moderate distress when their mother left the room. Some showed extreme signs of distress when their mother left, and some had no signs of distress. They also took note of how the children reacted to the stranger in the room and how they reacted when their mother returned from being away. Obviously, there's a lot more to it, and books on attachment cover this study more. But the conclusion was that the children developed these attachment styles based on their caregiver's behavior towards them and their needs. If your parents responded to your emotions and needs with care and sensitivity, you're more likely to have a secure attachment style. But if your parents responded to your emotions and needs inconsistently or just ignored them, you are more likely to have an insecure attachment style. Our attachment styles are typically solidified at an early age. And even though it's not really our fault that we have a particular attachment style, it's our responsibility as adults to work on healing attachment wounds and working towards a more secure attachment. I know it's unfair, but that's how it goes. The way I see it, by doing the healing work sooner, you're more likely to pass on a secure attachment style to your kids if you choose to have any. And even if you don't have kids or don't want to, the work has a positive effect across all relationships in your life, even the ones that aren't romantic. So why is it even important to know your attachment style? We pick up these behavior patterns in relationships from an early age as a coping mechanism or tools for survival, which we absolutely need at some point early in our lives. But as adults, it's likely that insecure attachment behavior gets in the way of forming healthy, balanced, long-term, intimate relationships. Certain behaviors just don't serve us the way they did in childhood. So it's important to be aware of what your attachment style is so you can understand why these patterns exist, heal from attachment trauma, and create healthier patterns in relationships. For me, when I learned about attachment theory, it helped me recognize that I would never get my needs met in my relationship with my ex, who was avoidantly attached. And I had a lot of healing that I had to do that likely wouldn't happen in that relationship with him. So how does this all play out in our adult relationships? Well, our attachment style affects our self-esteem and how we feel about ourselves, which absolutely affects how we interact with adults and in adult romantic relationships. It also affects what we expect from others who try to get close to us emotionally. It affects how we protect ourselves and react to others who try to get close to us. And it affects how we get our needs met and what we need to feel safe in a relationship. Let's take a closer look at the four attachment styles, which are secure, anxious, avoidant, and disorganized. The numbers I hear get thrown around are that 50% of the population are securely attached, and the remaining 50% are going to be insecure, which are split between anxious, avoidant, and a small percentage of disorganized attachment. There are subcategories within each insecure attachment style too. And I want you to keep in mind that attachment styles exist on a spectrum. And we're typically, like we can be a mix of two attachment styles. Also, it gets even more fun because different (laughs) attachment styles can be activated depending on who you're with. For example, you can be with one romantic partner who makes you feel more anxious. And then later you can be with another partner who brings out your more avoidant tendencies. And then someone else might not trigger either insecure attachment style and make you feel more secure obviously that type of partner would be a winner. So let's look at secure attachment first. Here are some of the qualities and traits that a securely attached person would have. They think positively of themselves and other people. They have a healthy amount of self-esteem and confidence. 
they're comfortable with intimacy and feel fine, like totally okay getting close to people. They can set boundaries and speak their needs. They're trusting of other people. They're comfortable asking for help and they're self-sufficient. They're capable of developing and maintaining strong relationships and they can regulate their own emotions as well as the emotions of people they're close to. Again, folks with secure attachment develop this style of attachment because their parents responded to their emotions and needs adequately and with sensitivity. So as a kid, they trusted that their caregivers would show up when they needed them and that they were safe, valued, and loved. One of the main themes that sticks out to me with the secure attachment style is feeling worthy of and deserving of love. If you're securely attached, you like yourself and you know you're worthy of getting your needs met. So you feel comfortable speaking your needs and getting close to people. And even if it doesn't work out, you're still worthy of love, affection, and all that. If you're dating, here are some signs that someone might be securely attached. One, they're consistent. This is probably the biggest green flag for a securely attached person. And as we get into the other styles, you'll see why consistency alone is one of the biggest indicators. And that means consistent in their communication and their actions. They're going to be open and they're going to make move towards co- commitment, but not rushing it, right? Like, so the, like they'll be oriented around commitment, but they're not like racing to commit. They're comfortable in their own skin, so someone with secure attachment likely won't put themselves down or be overly apologetic. They're going to show up as confident and easy to be around. They're going to be present, but not intense. And another clear sign of someone with secure attachment is being able to verbally communicate their needs and boundaries, and especially in a calm way. Like I've said in the past, when you're with an emotionally secure, available person, it might feel a little boring if you're not used to it. They're probably not going to leave you guessing and there won't be any games. There won't be any surprises. And that's a good thing. I want to say right here that insecure attachment is not the opposite of secure attachment. And just because someone is insecurely attached doesn't mean they can't have strong relationships or trust other people or have healthy self-esteem. This is all on a spectrum. So let's look at the anxious attachment style. Someone with an anxious attachment style is going to have a strong desire for closeness mixed with a fear of abandonment. They experience discomfort when being alone and try to avoid it. They have difficulty setting boundaries. They might feel like they're unworthy of love and they might feel more dependent on others and frequently need validation and reassurance. They tend to feel jealous more easily. They have low self-esteem, but a positive view of others and they exhibit more people-pleasing behaviors. People with an anxious attachment style might be labeled as overly sensitive, especially when it comes to changes in how other people speak, behave, or feel, and they have difficulty trusting others. The trust thing, like the difficulty trusting others, is one thing in common with all insecure attachment styles based on what I've read. So when I think about anxious attachment, I think about that situation where like you want to feel close to someone, you want to feel that validation that they want to be close to you too, you want them to show up for you. And then you get upset when they don't. So you act out by being cold and withdrawing to get that like reaction and closeness that you want. But then when they do show up, you still don't feel satisfied. I hope that makes sense. But that's what I think of when I think of anxious attachment. It's like, I want to feel close to you. You're not giving it to me enough. So I'm going to withdraw and make you chase me. And then when you actually give me the closeness I want, it's not going to be enough for me. And that's the loop. Let me know if you think that sounds familiar. I really hope that makes sense. So here are some behaviors that someone with anxious attachment might have in dating. So this is how you can kind of catch it in early dating. 
So someone with an anxious attachment style might frequently apologize over absolutely nothing that needs to be apologized for. This is like apologizing for double texting. And this is a clear sign of anxious attachment that I noticed a lot while dating because when someone does this, it's their way of trying to get constant validation and reassurance. If they repeatedly fish for compliments or ask you if you find them attractive, again, this is that constant need for validation, big sign of anxious attachment. I talked about this in my last episode. Needing some validation is totally normal, but if it's like constant every day, like in early dating, it's a sign they are anxiously attached. If they get cold on you when you take a long time to respond to a text, you know, if you feel a sudden energy shift from someone after you didn't reply to them all day, that's a sign. It might look like they're giving you one word answers, a shift in their tone, or they're not carrying the conversation. Sometimes that's an anxious attachment reaction to absence. Another sign is like they might not be trusting. Someone who's anxiously attached will give off an energy that they don't really trust what you say, even if you're telling them 100% the truth. It's almost like you can't convince them. And finally, if they're rushing the intimacy and closeness, folks who are anxiously attached crave closeness and and intimacy so intensely. So if you feel like that connection is being rushed and they're not even really taking the time to get to know you, that's a sign. I want to take a moment to remind ourselves like to have compassion if you feel like the anxious attachment style is what you have, like have compassion for yourself. I think most of us experience these feelings of anxiety and like our anxious attachment being triggered and dating at some point in the journey. It's probably going to happen at some point. You might act out. You might do things that you're not proud of later that you regret later because your anxiety was triggered. And that's okay. We can learn from these situations. We can act in a more secure way in the future. Let's look at avoidant attachment characteristics. So someone who is avoidantly attached generally avoids closeness and relationships. This doesn't mean they can't ever achieve closeness and emotional intimacy. It's just going to be more difficult and a lot slower. Like a sign that someone is avoidantly attached is if they take six months to a year to say I love you and they are basically afraid to say I love you to someone. Another one is that they're sensitive to clinginess and tend to withdraw when you try to come closer. They need a ton of space. They're typically not external processors like anxiously attached folks are, and they cope with difficult situations by themselves. They're super independent and self-reliant. They're likely not going to ask for help and enjoy doing things alone. They look down on complaining or expressing things that are wrong. They're likely to stonewall in an emotionally difficult conversation. And they're confident and have high self-esteem, but they have a negative view of others. So this is the opposite of anxiously attached folks. I think avoidant attachment often gets the worst rap, but it's really important to know that you can have a full loving relationship with someone who is avoidantly attached. And if you are avoidantly attached, you can do this as long as there is awareness and openness to the discomfort of actually communicating and meeting their partner halfway. Unfortunately, since avoidantly attached folks suppress their emotions and don't usually have the skills to express their emotions, they're less likely to seek help and support in healing their attachment wounds. So if in your dating journey, you meet someone with this attachment style, see if they're at least aware of it. That's a green flag. And I could do a whole other episode on the avoidant and anxious attachment dynamic and cycle, which I think many of us experience at some point in life. So let me know if you want an episode on that. You can DM me on Instagram at dating.intentionally. So here are some ways to spot avoidant attachment in dating. 
they're going to be extremely slow with texting and you might go days without hearing from them. They don't respond empathetically to things. So if you're on a date with someone and you open up to them about a positive or negative situation in your life, they're likely going to completely skip over any emotional response and go right into solution mode or playing devil's advocate. They might even be skeptical. You know, they're not going to respond empathetically and they minimize feelings. People with avoidant attachment don't typically prioritize dating and relationships. They'll date and sometimes have casual relationships. But one of the early dating signs I used to catch all the time with avoidantly attached folks is that other things in their life take priority. And that's not inherently bad. It's just something to watch out for. I know it's a lot. And again, I think avoidantly attached folks get the worst rap, but I know that there is a path towards a more secure attachment style if they are open to it. I'm someone who leans avoidant like when I'm not in a relationship. And even in my current relationship, I had plenty of avoidant tendencies So I hope that I'm an example of growth and being able to work through it. All right, last one. Let's look at disorganized attachment. This one is a lot less common, but it's absolutely worth talking about and being aware of. Disorganized attachment, which is also known as fearful avoidant attachment, is characterized by behavior that's inconsistent and really hard to predict. People with this attachment style pursue relationships, but then typically lash out or detach from the person they're with. It's like wanting to be desperately close to someone, but having an extreme fear of it at the same time. This is the rarest form of attachment style because it's often the result of specific types of trauma, such as abuse of any kind, or maybe someone with this attachment style witnessed violence in the home early on. It's important to note that trauma can come in so many forms, and at the end of the day, disorganized attachment style comes from fearing an attachment figure rather than seeing them as a source of security. It's not really about the level of trauma experience, but more about how that trauma affected someone's bond with their attachment figure. Their attachment figure, you know, is supposed to be safe, then become someone to avoid in order to survive. And I don't know about you, but I could totally see how this dynamic would make adult relationships extremely difficult for people with this attachment style. So here are some of the signs. Someone with a disorganized attachment style finds relationships confusing. They might flip-flop between extremes like feeling hate and then love for their romantic partner. They might exhibit untrusting, selfish, and controlling behavior, which can turn into abusive behavior towards themselves or other people. They likely don't take responsibility for their actions, which can be really tough in a relationship. They know a relationship can feel safe and meaningful, but they're also terrified or feel unworthy of love. They find it extremely difficult to be vulnerable or to open up to other people. They might not trust their partner when it comes to portrayals of love, affection, support, and other types of connection, and they actively look for signs of rejection in a relationship. And they're probably going to give off mixed signals or sabotage their relationships in various ways. Okay, so I know that was a lot, and I do want to create more resources around this, but for now, let me share some of my favorite resources. I'll share this on Instagram at dating.intentionally so you can easily find them. You can head over to Instagram and save the post that says resources for learning about attachment theory. Here are three books I've read and love for learning about attachment theory and how how to heal. The first one I've mentioned a few times is Attached by Amir Levine and Rachel S.F. Heller. I think I read this book on Audible in like six hours. It was a pretty short one. And I think this is a good one to start with, but It is not very nice to avoidantly attach folks. 
The one I really read recently and loved is called Wired for Love by Stan Tatkin. This one's a lot friendlier and more compassionate to all different insecure attachment styles. And there are so many amazing exercises that you can do if you're single or in a relationship. And the last one I read that I loved is called Polysecure by Jessica Fern. Yes, this is a book that is more for people who are exploring ethical non-monogamy, but it is mostly about attachment. And I think the advice in the book can apply to any relationship and any iteration of relationship, to be honest. Again, I really liked Wired for Love. Of the three I read, I think that's the best one. And I've also heard good things about The Power of Attachment by Diane Poole-Heller. I haven't read it yet, but it came up on many lists of recommendations. Okay, so now that we know what all the attachment styles are, how do we apply this to dating? I think the most important thing and really the only thing you can control is addressing your own attachment wounds. It starts with awareness, and I recommend taking a quiz to start. There's one in the attachment books, and there are a few online. I like the one that's on attachmentproject.com. It's right on their homepage. Then from there, you can read books, dive deeper into this topic with podcasts hosted by therapists, which of course is not the same thing as therapy, but it's a good way to educate yourself more. And of course, there's always working on your attachment style with a therapist. You know, you can do this work when you're single or in a relationship, and it's never too late to start. In fact, the sooner the better because it can take a while. I've been working with my therapist on this for five years. My ex and I were stuck in the anxious avoidant dynamic. And while I did some healing in that relationship towards a more secure attachment style, I did more healing on my own and in my current relationship with a secure partner. It's a process. It's not linear and it's kind of messy. It's hard to do on your own, which is why I really recommend working with a therapist if you can. I'm going to share one thing that really helped me move towards a more secure attachment style. And I could only do this after I had worked on it for a while in therapy. But what helped me was becoming aware of my default behavior rooted in my attachment wounds and then literally just doing the opposite. So if my instinct was to withdraw, I'd open up. If my initial reaction was to shut down my needs and like stuff them down, I'd express them instead. And if I felt like acting out, I shared how I felt or took a pause. This required mindfulness and the ability to slow down before reacting in certain dating situations. It also required me to be my own secure base. Like I know I am safe no matter what because I'm a secure base for myself. Just wait until we talk about interdependence on this podcast. It's a whole other can of worms. But one thing I did notice in all this research I did for this podcast episode is how important self-esteem is and how connected self-esteem is in all of this. And I think that's another thing that I've always worked on is just leaning into what makes me feel good, leaning into what I'm good at and building myself up. I know I've mentioned this book many times in this podcast, but the main book that helped me with this is called The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron. And I think that book is perfect for pretty much anyone's healing journey in anything. Okay. I want to answer three quick listener questions that came in about attachment. All right. The first one. Is it possible to have both anxious and avoidant tendencies? I think for most of us, it depends on the relationship. Like I said earlier, one person might activate an anxious attachment in you and another person might activate the avoidant side. Anxious and avoidant attachment styles are both insecure, right? So they're two sides of the same coin. Two, how do I know if they're avoidant or just not into me? An avoidantly attached person is more likely to chase you if you create space and withdraw. It's what makes them feel safe. But if they're not into you, they won't even pursue you if you give them space. 
Interest is interest. Folks with avoidant attachment are absolutely capable of showing interest and showing affection, but they might be more closed off down the line when it comes to more emotional topics. Three, can anxiously attached and avoidantly attached people ever be in a successful relationship and how? From what I've learned, I want to say yes, with the awareness of attachment theory and their own attachment wounds and a willingness and openness to doing the work together and individually, yes, it can absolutely work. It does take that commitment to working on it. All right. So I'd love to hear from you. What is something you took away from this episode? DM me on Instagram at dating.intentionally. I love to hear from you and I'm happy to answer any questions you have. And if you don't know what your attachment style is, or you think it's one thing, but want to be more sure, take a quiz online from the attachment project or the one from the attached book. I want to remind you that your attachment style does not define you. And like most things in relationships, it exists on a spectrum. You're doing great. I really appreciate you listening to this episode. I worked really hard on it. So thank you so much. If you're enjoying this podcast, please subscribe, rate, or leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Your feedback means a ton to me and helps you make this podcast as helpful as possible. I'll catch you next time.